Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 42. Glad you could join us. Today, Hope and Bonnie are joined by a veteran homeschooling mother who stands on the other side of a bridge so many are just now beginning to cross. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired by what she has to say. And as always, please reach out to us at podcast at colby.org. Enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. And I'm Jordan. After slipping through a thousand cracks, I completed a PhD in history and literature of ancient Christianity at Göttingen University in Germany. Now I teach Greek and Latin at Colby and serve as the Director of Public and Alumni Relations. Our guest today is Louise Deal, whose children are Colby alumni and who has a wealth of experience herself as a Colby homeschooling mom. Welcome to the Colby cast, Mrs. Deal. We're so glad you joined us. Oh, thanks. It's it's fun. It was fun to reminisce. Oh, good. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. We're looking forward to hearing your reminiscences and the things that worked well for you and your family and the role that Colby has played in your in your family life. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, I've been married for 35 years and I have four children, uh, two girls, the oldest, two boys, the youngest, um, ages 30, 27, 25, and 22. So uh, my uh, youngest graduated four years ago, but I still remember a fair amount, I hope, (laughs) to help. Uh, And the, the younger three were completely always homeschooled with Colby, but my oldest, um, I did not start homeschooling until sixth grade. So she was six through 12, but they're all Colby grads, as you mentioned. And um, yeah, Jessica, the oldest right now, she's um, finishing a PhD from Catholic U, Catholic University of America. Um, She's all but dissertation for a PhD in philosophy. So she went that route. She she went undergrad um, philosophy at the University of Dallas, which Colby, you know, well prepared her for because the curriculum is a uh, very very interestingly uh, the same or a, a lot of overlap. And then um, she got her MA in philosophy at at CUA as well. And then. She's currently working as an administrative assistant uh, with the Institute for Human Ecology at CUA while she's finishing her dissertation. And um, she just got married in the pandemic in June. <laughs> and uh, then Christina, she's the, uh, my second and my next daughter. She got a BA in English from the University of Dallas and she works in the marketing field. And she also just got married on January 2nd. <laughs> so it's been busy. But, uh, yeah, so she did not go to graduate school. And then my third child, Sam, he was, so I had the two daughters that were the liberal arts and then the two sons that were the STEM guys. So the engineering guys. And so um, Sam, it was really an answer to prayer, but uh 
I didn't, I really wanted him to be able to get, you know, a really good core and continue, you know, a strong uh, Catholic uh, higher education, I guess you'd say. And so there was a three plus two program offered by Franciscan University the year before he graduated high school. So he was only the second class to do this. So he got his bachelor's in math from Franciscan, but then he finished his engineering degree at Notre Dame two more two spent two years at Notre Dame to get his bachelor's in mechanical engineering. And he's currently in the second year of a PhD program in robotics at Georgia Tech. So he's a busy guy. <laughs> and then Daniel, my youngest, he's also did the 3-2 program at Franciscan, but he transferred back to WVU. So he's in his second semester of his like first transfer year to finish um, mechanical engineering as well. So hopefully in another year, he'll graduate with his mechanical engineering degree. So yeah, that's, that's where they're at. You're opposite of me. I have, uh, my boys are older and my girls are younger. So that's a fun oh, flip flop. That's okay. fun. And we've got one who's very engineering minded here as well. My ears perk up when I hear that. So what sorts of things were your children into when they were Colby students? Yeah, well, um, activity wise, uh, music was required. <laughs> so I just told them Colby required music because uh, I didn't really have to do that with the girls. The girls um, were naturally attracted to studying music. So Jessica did piano and organ and voice. Christina did violin, piano and voice. Sam did piano and Daniel did piano or violin, sorry. And then um, in the early years, the girls did like some ballet and tennis, and then the boys did scouts and some biking. Everyone did swimming and everyone did riflery because my husband was very into, you know, target shooting kind of thing. And because he had done that in high school. But, you know, we we kind of made a conscious decision um, not to do any organized team sports and um, really just for the sole reason that it was just so time consuming. We just felt like that was just going to be too much time. And um, so we, you know, and we also you know, did some other weird things like limiting uh, cable. T we didn't have any cable TV. We we never bought them video games. We limited the internet. Nobody had a cell phone until they were allowed to drive. Nobody had a smartphone till college. So, you know, we kind of, yeah, tried to because there's only so many hours in a day. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of their, their activities, some, some music and some, some physical stuff. I'm intrigued by this. We have several Colby families who we've visited with whose children have been involved in swimming as an extracurricular. And we didn't have the opportunity um, when I was growing up to be involved in that, but I enjoyed swimming just recreationally. And so I, I I think it's neat to hear the families that have really embraced swimming as one of their physical outlets. And I'm intrigued by it because it's so far out of <laughs> my experience, but it seems like it'd be a great, uh, well, great balance I was, and it sounds like it's worked out well for families. Yeah. I mean, and I, I well, uh, we were going from the standpoint of safety. We would just wanted them to all be strong swimmers, but we were never going to get into swims team stuff. Oh my gosh. You talk about time consuming. <laughs> Whoa, those people are dedicated. And so, yeah, we mostly did it through fortunately a swim lessons and a swim club kind of thing, but nothing, no team. Thankfully they were always saying, Oh, don't you want to be on the team? We're like, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> 
tell us then about how you organized your days when you were homeschooling everyone. Yeah, this was this was, um, you know, when thinking back on this, it's it's a bit hard to answer because, you know, it's very different at different ages. And so, you know, early on, you know, the the youngest got the most attention, especially, you know, folk being focused on, you know, learning to read really well. And uh, but thinking back to the the year, say that, you know, I had a 12th grader, a ninth grader, a seventh grader and a fourth grader, you know, that that was pretty intense because you had the gamut there. And that was kind of, you know, prime homeschooling time. And and of course, they were more independent at that point. Everybody could read. And what I what I had to do, I, I found is for me anyway, is um. I made an Excel spreadsheet and I and I had like a general structure of every day because, you know, I had three people needing to practice piano every day. Well, you can't, you know, so they can't be fighting over whose turn it is to write or whatever, you know, so I had I had times for that kind of thing. And of course, we weren't a slave to the schedule, but it really helped, you know, structure things in general. And, um, you know, I obviously, like I said, I wasn't looking at minute to minute, but it it, it just helped a lot um, to, you know, and then and then I also had sort of a separate schedule for activities and lessons. But when, um, it, you know, it, we would always have a morning family prayer time together. And when the girls were seriously into music, they would get up really early, practice before morning prayer. Then we'd have morning prayer together. We'd read a saint of the day or when the kids were younger, Bible stories, we'd say, pray certain prayers together. Um, in the later years, you know, we would pray the family rosary in the evening um, and dad would read a lot to the kids. Um, he read a lot of Little House on the Prairie and Bible stories at bedtime. But but you know, when as far as the schedule went too, the other thing I did was anyone who was in K through eighth grade got like planned out day to day, week by week, assign, you know, a to-do list, essentially, that I would fill in kind of, I had this standard to-do list. And so it had every, every week of the quarter, and then every day of the week. And so the biggest challenge um, with that was, you know, keeping up with grading when they were, you know, when we were in this intense, more intense period of, you know, I really wanted to stay on top of the math, because, I felt like that is really important to have instant feedback. So I never wanted to get behind on grading math and then grading paper topics was time consuming, but the quarterly reports really kept me accountable. You know, I, I dreaded doing them every time, but then I was like, they really, you know, they really kept me on track. So uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, a bit, uh, a blessing in, in a way. <laughs> so, but um yeah, I think that that was kind of the the basic structure of things. So, yeah. That's great. It's so interesting to hear how people make things work, especially yeah. when there are several in the mix, several different ages. And I think it's all too easy to get uh, set on this is it's always going to be like this or we're in this particular stage. But like you're like you made reference to it's the seasons change. The It looks different when everyone's little than it will when everyone's getting older and more independent. And so I think that's helpful. I know it's helpful for me looking down the road to those who have children farther along in the progression and thinking back to where, what it was like for us when we started out a few years ago. Right. So 
Well, and it was also really, you know, looking back, it was really the experience of bringing a sixth grader home was really a shock uh, because she she was, you know, very academically gifted. And at the time I had only had one my one daughter, um, the very cooperative, compliant child, you know, who was uh, who was homeschooled for K one and two, and then all of a sudden, I had a sixth grader, a third grader, and a first grader, like all all at once. And so that was really, and it was interesting because it was only a couple, maybe two or three weeks in, my oldest said, "Well, I'm never going back to school." And I was like, uh, what, really? <laughs> like, we, we were just kind of trying this for you, but uh, okay, why? And, and she said, well, she gave three reasons. She said, I can read good books and I don't have to worry about what I look like, my hair or my clothes, and I don't have to wait on everybody else to finish stuff. And so that was kind of it for her. She, she never did go back to school and, um, but I remember too, I wanted to tell this story because I think it would may encourage some other moms is that when she came home in sixth grade and we jumped into that uh, car, that national Catholic reader, that old, you know, Catholic reader, it was challenging. <laughs> and she was, like I said, she was gifted and, but I was having trouble with some of the readings, you know? <laughs> and, and so she, you know, she did kind of poorly on the first quarterly exam. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I called up Colby. And at the time, of course, you know, I don't, I guess we had, did we have internet at that time? Gosh, I can't even remember. But basically I called up Colby and said, you know, uh, can you put me in touch with any moms in my area that use Colby? And sure enough, they had had a mom, you know, you had to give permission, obviously, but this mom who lived about an hour south of me had given permission. And I called her up and I was like, my daughter just failed her quarterly exam. What do I do? You know, <laughs> And she was so nice and talked me through it. And we're, we're good friends to this day. So I, I owe a, a dear friendship to Colby as well. But uh, yeah, that was that was challenging. And uh, but yeah, it's it was um, we worked through it. So when we started homeschooling, our oldest was going into seventh grade. So similar that sort of adjustment. OK, we're all here and we're all going to do this. And what do we do first and who does what? And whoa, this is some of this is much more challenging and you want us to do what? And, uh, but, but at the same time, oh, wow, we're not all up hitting the ground at really early time, getting all stressed out before we get out the door. And they're among other things that we were immediately grateful for that really yeah. you saw <laughs> right away. Yeah. Well, that, that brought back another memory too. What you just said is I remember she was really focused on grades and me grading everything. And I was like, uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know, like I don't have time to do that. So, you know, you'll get feedback and you'll get, but you're not going to get every single thing graded. And it was nice to get her off of that and just more into the, you know, to love learning. I really like those three points that she brought up about she could read good books. She didn't have to worry about what she looks like or doing her hair. And she didn't have to wait on other people because I think I remember being a sixth grade girl and middle school is, is so tough, just that developmental age. And then the social stresses and things like that. I'm impressed. I don't think I could have identified so clearly why I liked homeschooling in middle school as, as those bullet points that she put together, but they really connect into the bigger picture of this 
curiosity and thirst for knowledge and then this kind of um, authenticity and, and individuality and not trying to fit into a particular mold and then uh, working at your best pace. Like you mentioned, there are only so many hours in a day and learning how to maximize those for your various pursuits, academic, extracurricular, um, physical, spiritual, all of them. And so that's awesome that she she picked up on that so quickly and could describe it so succinctly. I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah. One thing I appreciate is how much room is made for their interests, for them to develop those interests. And if they're interested in something, but it's not cool, so to speak, or other people aren't interested in it, that tends to kind of squelch that sometimes. Right? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I think it's come up a number of times. I, I see it both with Jordan and Hope, who are homeschooled themselves, that they both have this strong sense of self and had this time and space to cultivate those interests and know themselves well and just be really comfortable in their own in their own persons. And just to have that space and room for that to develop, I think is highly valuable too. Absolutely. I mean, my daughters were extremely accomplished in their primary instrument, which was piano and, and then the younger one violin. And they never would have attained that high level of proficiency on their instruments if it weren't for homeschooling. I mean, they both even considered, you know, majoring in music. I mean, so, but, but there was no way because homeschooling, you know, allowed that time and flexibility for practice and for them to get their practice in at the best time of the day for them, you know, and we could structure our days to do things, you know, when, when they were at their best for that particular activity and especially the block scheduling in high school, when we did that, you know, that was huge. And, um, and I just loved seeing them like make the connections between the history and the literature and the theology, especially my oldest. She was just, you know, born for Colby, I felt like, you know, and she made all those connections. And, but, you know, I think what also shocked me about when she embraced it so quickly is she was a very, very social, or she is still a very, very social kid, you know, and I, I was afraid she was going to miss that. But then you realize there, there isn't, she wasn't getting that kind of social, you know, that, uh, that was good at school. And, um, and she didn't miss it a bit. But I guess why I was shocked, too, is I'm not a super creative person. I wasn't a super creative teacher. I basically wanted them to get independent as soon as possible, because that would save me time, you know, and I and in high school, especially, you know, they got the course plans, go for it, you know, ask me if you need help, but I mean, I'm here to help. But I wanted to, you know, facilitate them in, in independent learning as, as, you know, much as possible. And I'd be there for feedback and questions, of course, and marking red all over their paper topics. But you know. <laughs> sure. I was just speaking with a homeschooling mom about the immense weight she felt to teach all the things to all the children. She was really feeling that keenly and, and struggling with that. And, and her children are young. But I was hoping to point out to her, just like I was saying about the seasons, it won't always be like this. We're moving ever closer toward them taking more on that it's not all up to us moms to dump all this knowledge on them and them to take it in like you, you don't just like shove it in there somehow and <laughs> to use a sort of crude expression I, I all the images I have of of imparting this this way and they're not terribly 
pleasant mental images. And maybe that's, maybe that's for the best, you know, that works out just fine because that's not actually what we're meant to be doing here. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it's flexible too. And the things that I wasn't strong in, you know, we, we sought out elsewhere, like, um, I mean, we're fortunate to live in a university town, so they were able to take Italian at college in high school and get college credit for it, you know, and so that was their language. And they also studied um, Latin with a a retired university professor because they were phasing out Latin at the time. And anyway, yeah, so there, there were things like that that we, you know, supplemented as, you know, as needed kind of thing. Yeah, another great reminder that it's, it's not all up to just mom. We are facilitators. Yes, we teach, but we also manage other resources. That's great. Right. It's more like I felt like I was needing to do the research and and for each kid, get them the best combination of things that would, you know, again, allow them, right, to, uh, to flourish. So among all that mix, how did you also handle your other obligations? Work, volunteering? projects, your spiritual life, hobbies, things like that? Well, you know, we talked about homeschooling being really flexible. And, and so that helps a lot. You know, I had parents who were on the older end of things. And so at one point, you know, I had caregiving obligations to them and, and whatnot. And and homeschooling allowed us that flexibility. But to be honest, I I tried to limit my other obligations as much as possible, as you say, for this season. I mean, it was a good day if, you know, we got prayer in, school in and dinner. You know, that that was a good day. I, I, I kind of lowered my expectations. I remember going to this homeschool conference and the speaker stood up there and said, you didn't start homeschooling to have a clean house. So I did, I hired occasional cleaning help um, just to kind of keep my head above water. I had the kids do chores as well, but you know, it just gave me some peace of mind that way. And then we formed, we had a, enough moms at one point or, and, and now it's growing, but back when we, I started, I mean, my, my oldest was the only you know, person in Catholic, only Catholic high school homeschooler, we don't have a Catholic high school in our town. So, you know, she, well, she didn't have any, you know, support group that way. So we formed like a local Catholic homeschooling group of some Catholic moms, and it's still, it's still going and and increasing today. So that's kind of neat. But yeah, I really, I really tried to limit I didn't do a lot of stuff. And the stuff I did do, I tried to make sure it was with the kid. Like we got involved with pro-life stuff, but you know, that was the girls were doing that and I was doing it along with them or things like that. But I, I didn't do a lot, you know, on my own, just volunteering. Like I, like I can now. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to remember that it, back to the season thing, there will be time for these things. Right. We are, we are where we are right now. And when I try to do all the things, I don't do very many of them very well, if at all. So if, I, if I'm right. more selective about what I do now, and then that does come to a natural conclusion, some of the things, you know, on their own timeline, and then I can take up something else. So that's a reminder for me. I, I When ours were all very young, somebody introduced me to that idea of the seasons, and I had to reconcile myself to that idea. And I have some, since come to embrace it. Like, yeah. It sounds like your homeschooling made space for life to happen and to deal with the unexpected as well, or living life, as you say, taking care of 
of your parents and other things that come up, there was space for that, thanks in part to your homeschooling arrangements. Definitely, definitely. So recently I came across a quote from St. Vincent de Paul that it sounds like you have lived out, Mrs. Deal, with um, with the way that you said if you had school, prayer, and dinner, it was a good day, and, and having those as your waypoints. So this quote from St. Vincent de Paul I saw recently was, it is a ruse of the devil by which he deceives good people to induce them to do more than they are able so that they end up not being able to do anything. The Spirit of God urges one gently to do the good that can be done reasonably so that it may be done perseveringly and for a long time. Mm, that is a really good quote. I, I know I, I didn't know that quote, but uh, that is so, so much wisdom in that quote. And, and when you mentioned, you know, when you said dinner and reflecting my thought back to me, I, I should have mentioned that one thing that also really helped me, I, I feel like, is I had gotten into the habit really before homeschooling even of planning out a week or two's worth of meals. And I also always like cooked extra on the weekend and froze stuff so that during the week, you know, I tried to minimize meal prep stress as much as possible. <laughs> and, and I and, and not having to, you know, at five o'clock, try to figure out what I was going to make for dinner that night. You know, <laughs> But I kept things very simple. I'm certainly not a gourmet cook. I mean, I'm a good cook on certain things, but I, you know, I just I just tried to keep things very simple during the week to to minimize that. Yes, big fans of the meal planning here, knowing what it is, even if we move them around, like I make a plan for a week or two in advance, and then we can shift stuff around if we need to. But knowing that we have that sketched out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I always wrote it in pencil. Just in case. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Me too. So your boys are in STEM fields. We've had the great pleasure of visiting with a number of alumni in liberal arts fields, and we'd we'd like to hear some more from folks in STEM fields and, you know, families in that realm. Sure, sure. You're talking to a husband and wife, a father and mother that were both STEM. Okay, so my husband's a mechanical engineer. Uh, Okay. I'm a mechanical engineer with physical, then I went into biomedical and physical therapy. So we both have this like science type background, right? And that's why we felt so strongly about Colby, (laughs) because we know what we missed. Okay. Uh, My education was so incomplete. (laughs) After looking back, you know, I'll date myself. I graduated from high school in 1980. And the, you know, math science focus left no time for anything else. And what little else I got was terrible. So (laughs) because I went to a big public state school, but at any rate, you know, a classical and Catholic education um, is a benefit to everybody, no matter what field you're pursuing. I'll never forget one of the first Colby catalogs I opened up. It had this fantastic quote from Mark Twain. And it said, a man who doesn't read good books is no better off than a man who can't read. And that, that just struck me. That just hit me. It's like, yes. And so, you know, I feel like a Colby education is more important for kids who are going to pursue STEM fields because likely they won't have 
time or access to good core if, you know, depending on where they go to school. So it's interesting. And as far as the, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I'll, I'll say that, you know, the classical Catholic pursuit of the truth and being able to think and communicate well and have this knowledge of history and being formed in the faith and the virtues, you know, all those things together, besides making good citizens and making good saints, you know, advance the common good on earth. And so if they're in, if they go into a STEM field, it's huge to be able to communicate well. It doesn't matter how much research you can do. It doesn't matter how much, if you can't communicate and, and it's, you know, it's typical that People in this area or in that field who study a lot of math science are weaker on their communication skills. So that's I, I feel like that's one of the biggest um, why it benefits people in, in all fields, but especially STEM. This idea that you share about bringing your own STEM background and being intrigued by Colby and being drawn to Colby for its holistic education, that I am fascinated by just the um, the balance of the sciences and I think that um, we often hear about the Newman schools and things like that that are great schools and it's great that Colby students go to them but I I'm always very conscious I I don't want to inadvertently reinforce stereotypes that if you get a classical liberal arts education you're just headed for a life in the library. Um, and so hearing that, hearing how the liberal arts and communication skills and analysis skills, that all of the benefits of Colby were both a draw for STEM parents and then a, a great foundation for STEM students. Well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, Colby is very rigorous, but it's also very flexible, right? And so my oldest, I mean, she did the whole nine yards. She was assuming, you know, she did everything and above and beyond. Like she was the Colby, you know, (laughs) quintessential poster child, I guess you could say. (laughs) Whereas, uh, so my sons, so, and my, you know, my daughters went the liberal arts directions, but my sons did not. And so I did, you know, I modified things slightly, you know, I might've required a little less paper topics from them or, you know, I'll never forget. So my um, youngest is probably like the least academic of all four. Okay. He, school was a struggle and, you know, he, he just was not, um, the joyful uh, gun host student. He was more of a hands-on kind of get out there kind of guy. So anyway, he was the least academic. And I remember thinking, gosh, can he handle Colby? I don't know. Going back and forth, he's approaching high school thinking, boy, what do I do here? And then I thought, what are you saying, Louise? I, I was, I was, you know, mad at myself for even considering not doing Colby because I said, why would I deprive him of all the benefits of this education that I 100%, you know, am on board with and and think it's going to save civilization, you know, why would I, why would I deprive him of these benefits? I just needed to modify more for him and he was going to get out of it what he would get out of it. 
And I remember, you know, because he was compared to the older three and, you know, it's hard not to compare, but you do. He was just the the, his writing, I thought, was atrocious Okay, compared to my older kids. And I was so worried. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how's he going to do in college? I just don't know. uh, His writing so terrible, even though I correct and correct, he would still, you know, making the same mistakes. And but then I, I had the fortunate blessing of, you know, my daughter by this time, the one that's getting her Ph.D. at Catholic U. By this time, she was teaching freshman philosophy classes. And so some of the writing that she saw and I would show her Daniel stuff and she was like, oh, mom, you have nothing to worry about. Trust me. <laughs> you don't know what I'm grading. And so, you know, that also speaks to look at the decline in preparedness and the quality of freshman students these days. I mean, it's it's shocking. And so a Colby education, at least, you know, you know, that your child is prepared and has a true education. In fact, I mean, I just heard another discussion recently sponsored by that Institute for Human Ecology, where the president of Catholic U was lamenting this. He said kids are coming in and needing remedial stuff. And, and it's basically college is the new high school. It's it's really really shocking. Yeah. We've heard from a few college professors, similar things. And it's at once so concerning. It also increases my gratitude for the opportunity that we have with Colby. And it's reassuring to hear you speak about your experience and the gamut that you've run with your students and, and where they are now and how that has helped them get to where they are now. You mentioned modifying, and I think this is something that maybe the new homeschoolers among us, the new Kobe families, that's one of those things that's easy, I think, to forget that we have this latitude to modify. So do you have a couple of examples where you where you might have modified? Yeah, and, and that's huge, too, because that's that's the beauty of Colby. You are, have the freedom to modify. Whereas I felt like some other programs that I would hear about, you didn't have that freedom as, and you know, you know, your child best. And so for instance, my oldest was doing three paper topics every week, you know, for the, for the whole nine weeks or whatever the quarter was, you know, eight weeks. And then the, mm-hmm. whereas my youngest, we would go through before the quarter started and he would have to do over the quarter, he would have to do two theology, two um, literature, and two history. And so, you know, he was doing one paper topic a week, you know, so that was an example of, you know, because he, again, he was, was not my writer. (laughs) And so um, the other special things I would say, if, if you're um, considering, you know, a, a STEM field is, is you do have to make sure the, the math skills are solid. You know, the math skills and concepts are really solid. And one piece of advice I had gotten at the time, which helped with my youngest one is repeat algebra if necessary. You've got to have strong algebra skills. They are, I mean, they're critical. And to this day, you know, I mean, the algebra is what gets kids later on. They don't have that really strong algebra. And then, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, my gosh, your kids aren't doing labs. How are they going to go into engineering? Right. (laughs) Well, 
believe me, labs are not that important. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is important, though, is exposure in general to what my husband likes to call tinkering. You know, let them tinker, let them do stuff on their own. But exposure to like formal labs and all that is generally a waste of time. <laughs> and so, you, yeah, you need the lab credit. You go through it however you get it, you know, for COVID, but it, it really, it does not affect college in, in the least, in my opinion. But what is really important also is strong chemistry and physics. And Colby has that. Colby has great chemistry and physics textbooks. So it's important though, if you're not strong in it, to get outside help, to get the tutors you need, because uh, yeah, I had to do that for chemistry. I thought, oh, I'm going to remember my chemistry. I remembered nothing from chemistry, <laughs> basically nothing. It was like after the first couple of weeks, I was lost. I'm like, help, you know, so get them a tutor or get them, you know, some outside help. And the other thing I would say is that the AP tests we found were not worth it. My guys did AP Calc and, um, did they do AP physics? One of them did AP physics. Yeah. And for my one son who was really strong, you know, but it's not worth it mostly because you need to have it reinforced in college anyway. Very few colleges give you college credit for it. It, it just wasn't. And I think a lot of this testing stuff is going by the wayside thanks to COVID anyway. So I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem, but, and then the other thing I would really strongly recommend is try to seek out a place if you can, that has one of those strong, either three, two programs where you can have time for some good core in college um, or a co-op program where they can work. But I, I would, I would really be looking around at, um, at what the, core is with the engineering degree because it's you know it shouldn't be just totally neglected is in my opinion we just visited with the math chair for colby kelly powers on a recent episode i think it's episode 33 and you mentioned algebra she said that algebra 2 is is the punchline whenever kids say well when do i need to learn this when do i need to why do I need to slow down and show my work? Why do I need to understand how to get here this way versus that way? And she said, she always comes back to algebra too. You, you need to use it with algebra. And so that mm -hmm. dovetails perfectly with what you were saying about getting that foundation. And then the other things that you recommended sound like they are, again, a really solid foundation for future success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I did know enough, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was okay helping the kids up until calculus, right? And then, and then I, I didn't want to relearn calculus. And so, you know, we had, uh, like I said, an outside tutor and some outside, you know, resources with Colby online by that point and stuff to, uh, to get us through calculus. But, uh, but yeah, it was funny because, you know, I was such a stickler early on with the algebra and, everything to, um, to showing your work and, and plugging in the numbers at the end and checking your units and all of those things that were drilled into me. Right. And, you know, the boys would grumble and grumble about it. Well, then what were they hearing when they finally got to outside teacher, the same exact things, you know, so I was <laughs> yep. you mentioned uh, chemistry tutor. I only survived high school chemistry with twice a week tutoring from a friend of our families and what you said about um, formal labs 
being kind of overrated um, in the high school years, I would cook various things for her as a thank you. And whenever she would come over, she said, these cooking projects that you're doing, like scaling recipes, planning things out, uh, different things like that. Those are as good as labs. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and she was the chemistry teacher at the local high school. And she yep, was I always very, that's right. Yeah. You had her at the at public school mm-hmm. and then she was my tutor and she was all about just get in the kitchen, learn how to follow recipes, learn how to keep your workstation clean, things like that. And it was kind of a variation on that tinkering idea that you brought up. Right, right. Good stuff. It's great to hear your perspective, your husband's perspective with the backgrounds that you have and how that informs how you approached the Colby curriculum and up to now. That's so helpful, really. Is there anything that you wish you'd known when you started homeschooling or that you would tell a new homeschooling family today? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know, um, I number one on the list, and this and this is going to sound counterintuitive too to STEM, but limit technology and screen time. Focus on basic concepts and abstract thought. Okay, and limit that stuff will come later, and um, I I just can't emphasize that enough. Also, you know, developing strong um, family traditions and and centering your life on your your faith and liturgical year and having that rhythm. I I think the kids remember that and and seeking out support from other like minded families. That was huge for us. But also, you know, persevering. It's really hard. But perseverance is so key to keep reminding yourself because the world is is, all these other messages. Oh, you're not good enough to teach your kid. Oh, you know, you don't know what you're doing. We, the experts, we know better, right? But you know your child best. I wouldn't have said this when I first got into homeschooling, but now I would say that public school is not an option (laughs) just because of the social indoctrination agenda they have. Um, And Catholic schools, they're they're really expensive or it's very rare to find a truly Catholic one. And and even if your child is not, say, going to be going to college, maybe they're going to be doing a trade or something else. Again, I think it's even more important to have the Colby education because that's the beauty of Colby. It's rigorous enough for a selective college, but adaptable enough for those who decide to pursue a trade. And the formation, like in the faith and virtue, you know, it's done in the family and you're never going to get this time back with your kids. But I would say too, the biggest advice, another big advice I have is is just the busyness and overscheduling are are probably the greatest enemy to the family and you have to constantly fight against it. Um, And it's hard because you do want to do everything and you want to give your kids all these wonderful opportunities. And there's lots of wonderful things out there. And even now it's even more overwhelming. And, And then the other thing I did that I think helped too was to have a summer plan have a plan to sort of just a couple very light things, but, you know, to keep their math skills going or keep them reading, you know, just some little thing that they have to do. It was not intense. It was not, but just having a little bit of structure in the summer really helped 
them not lose stuff and, and helped us get back started again, uh, you know, in the fall. So, yeah, th those are probably, but probably my biggest thing would be to say, you know, what I'd wish I could impart or what I wish I'd known is to just have that confidence, you know, just have that confidence that you can do this and it is the best thing for your child. Wow. Wonderful. It's so many practical, helpful tips, also big picture and confidence boosting. In the absence of a friend down the street or an hour away, like you, like you found through Colby, you're serving that purpose this way. And I'm sure it will be uh, gratefully received by many of our listeners. That's great. And, well, and that's neat that you found, speaking about the friend that you found, that, that's wonderful. That's been a oh, neat yeah. thing to, to find fellow Colby families in our region and and, yeah. and this way now with our online capabilities um, to connect even more with Kobe families. But hearing yeah. that you found when, when you did, that's wonderful too. Yeah, it was, it was a blessing. And, you know, the other thing I think I'm, I'm forever grateful to Colby for really, really in a debt that I could never repay is that, that Colby enabled me to give my kids the education I didn't have. You know, they say you can't give what you don't have, but Colby allowed me to do that. I mean, it was all laid out there. It was all there, you know, and, and all the sacrifice, all the time, everything, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I'm just sitting here listening to Soaking It Up. <laughs> wonderful. Me too. Great stuff. This has been a fantastic conversation. We appreciate so much you sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with us, Louise. We're so glad that your Kobe experience went as well as it did. And we're so grateful that you have given back to us in sharing your experience this way. This has been a great gift to the whole Colby community and we thank you very much. Oh, well, thank you. It's, it's, it's like I said, <laughs> the least I can do and, and, and no way could I, could I repay. So Colby, I, I'm, I'm just so happy that it's growing and flourishing and continuing to touch lives. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.